It was Adam Wittenberg, who is a guy who's at International House of Prayer. He writes this, The Lord is completely willing to talk to his people and use them to speak his words to others. All of it takes, all it takes is a teachable heart, a mustard seed of faith, and a willingness to step out. And for some of you, hearing God's voice doesn't feel very easy or like all it takes. I've been trying to do this, Andrew, and this is really difficult. This is, I just, I haven't, I just haven't heard James Earl Jones saying, I am your father from heaven. <laughs> Did you get the father? Yeah. I'm not very funny on purpose, just kind of on accident usually. But for you, perhaps, getting these spontaneous thoughts from God, you're still learning, and it's okay. And we're going to learn with you. And um, this is part of the beauty of walking with Jesus, giving him your life, inviting him to be the boss, and then his Holy Spirit living inside you and speaking straight to your spirit. So as we're learning, we're going through this series called Still Small Voice. We have a couple weeks left, and then we're going to transition and talk about some other things. But it occurred to me that in talking about hearing God's voice and discerning what it sounds like, we should probably talk a little bit about the gift of prophecy. And what is the gift of prophecy? Really glad you asked. I have a, my, my own little definition here. Uh, the gift of prophecy is is telling someone something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. Oftentimes when God speaks, it's just this idea that just pops into our head seemingly out of nowhere. Um, and so this idea of telling someone else what God has shown you, well, some people would even say that this doesn't happen any longer, that somehow this, this gift ceased. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that in a few minutes. But I'm here to tell you that I have experienced this gift both in giving words that I believe are from God and receiving them. And it has made my life so much more rich. And I'm not on my own because as we are going to look at 1 Corinthians 14 mostly today, 1 Corinthians 14 is all about this gift of prophecy. It also talks a lot about tongues, which we'll talk about a different Sunday. I'm actually kind of gearing up to talk, teach on, on the gift of tongues because it's just so misunderstood and so many people are freaked out by it. We'll talk about that in a, in a very near date. I haven't picked the date yet, but we'll talk about that. But in the midst of this, there's three chapters that kind of hold together. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. They talk all about spiritual gifts. How once the Holy Spirit's living inside you, he begins to give you gifts to be able to do certain things under the power of the Holy Spirit that you couldn't do before. And so these gifts and the conversation about these gifts in 12 through 14, right in the middle is this chapter about love in 1 Corinthians 13. If you've ever been to a wedding, maybe you've heard the pastor or the person officiating use those verses. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not brag. It does not boast. It does not take account of wrongs suffered, but rejoices with the truth. And it goes on and on. That's all in the context of how important love is to the gifts. And that if you've experienced the spiritual gifts without love, you have heard a clanging cymbal without the, the music, right? And that's what 1 Corinthians 13 says. So I just want you to keep that context in mind as we're looking through, through in these verses from 1 Corinthians 14. So what is this gift? Well, what does Paul say about the gift of prophecy? 
He actually desires all of us to pursue after this gift. It says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, follow the way of love. Remember, chapter 13 was all about love. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Well, that makes it pretty clear. I don't think you have to be a Bible scholar to figure out that Paul really wants us to experience this gift. He wants us to be able to hear things from God and share them with others. And the last, close to the last verse in the whole chapter, verse 39, therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. It's interesting when you see something echoed over and over, that repetition, this is an important thing we need to pay attention to. So the idea of being eager to prophesy, well, why would we want to be eager to prophesy? It's because of the fruit that's born through this gift. So let me tell you about somebody very special in my life. Gotta love that picture on the left. That is the 90s called and they want their paisley back. That's me. I know you, you don't recognize me. With my grandmother. So my grandmother, who was very short, but very sweet, um, loved spending time with grandma over the years. She lived in Orland. I would go over and spend the weekends with her. I'm the oldest grandchild. And um, so I kind of got to pave the way and had a very close relationship with her. And um, we lost her far too, too soon. She was in a car accident and died Oh, it's, gosh, it's been 29 years ago. Long time ago. So why do I show you pictures of my grandmother? By the way, there's some other fun pictures that include my wife before we were married and my sister and my dad holding a huge video camera, which I think is hilarious. My grandmother grew up kind of not so sure about church, and she married a man who despised pastors and thought pastors were all out for his money. He was a very outgoing guy, my grandfather, but not at all friendly to the things of God. He died suddenly when I was a baby of an aortic aneurysm. So I really never had time with him. But growing up with grandma was a beautiful thing. But faith didn't seem like it was a part of the equation for her. She was very kind, but I just longed to know that someday I would be with grandma in heaven. Well, fast forwarding to my time in college, I was in our college ministry here with a pastor named Bob Sprague, and he was teaching us how to share the gospel and talk about the good news of Jesus Christ, the fact that he came and he died for us to save us from our sins, and that we could know that we know that we know that we could be in heaven someday. And so when grandma was in the hospital ready for her five-way bypass, I went with Bob Sprague and shared the gospel. It was one of the first times I said, okay, this is really scary, but I want to know that I know that I know that grandma's going to be in heaven someday with me. And so we shared the gospel and she chose into faith and prayed that prayer. Well, that was a great moment, right? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So that was a great moment. But then I always wondered after that, did that, was that really real? Did that really happen? I, I, maybe I'm the only one who ever wonders that, right? But you just go, I, it, I think it was real. It felt real. Then when she died so suddenly, 
it left me wondering, is grandma in heaven? Was that really real? Did that really happen? And for some years, I even wondered about my own ability. Well, I'm becoming a pastor, and do I, can I even lead somebody to Jesus? Fast forwarding. Then I came on staff here at Neighborhood Church. I was in the midst of a staff meeting. We're having a, a quiet prayer time. And one of our pastors said, Andrew, this is a really weird thing, but I just feel like the Lord just put this on my heart. And if I don't tell you, I'm just going to explode because like, it's just the Lord and I just want to get it off my chest. But the Lord wants you to know, you don't have to worry. Your grandmother is in heaven. And I burst into tears. Why? Because I was relieved getting that question answered. He didn't know. He's like, why are you crying? What's going on? Like, what's, what is this? But to me, it was my heart cry to know. And so now I have complete confidence that she's up there with Jesus, you know, drinking iced tea and growing lots of flowers. I tell you that story to help you understand that prophecy isn't just some mechanical thing that happens. It's God speaking to your heart, telling you, hey, I see you. I know what's important to you. I could tell a lot of you that your grandmother's in heaven and you'd nod your head and you would know. But for me, I needed to hear that myself. So how does prophecy work? What does Paul say about it? 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. And it's, it's contrasting back and forth in the passage, tongues and, and prophecy. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, builds themselves up. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. So prophecy is for strengthening, encouraging, and comforting individuals and building up the church. This is the context. This is what Paul is saying. And who is it for? Well, 1 Corinthians 14 22 says prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. He's talking about how it works in as they gather to worship. That, that when you see God moving in your midst, you're so encouraged. But it's also for unbelievers. He goes on to say, if an unbeliever or an inquirer, a seeker, comes in while everyone is prophesying and they're convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Now, what this is not saying is that someone's going to get up and say, you've got a problem with eating too much or whatever your sin issue is, right? It's not about calling out sin. We don't see that in the context of the New Testament. But what we do see is that there are some times when something is said, something is preached or sung or shared or prayed, and it's like, whoa, that's, that has some serious life to it. That's talking to me. The easiest way to think about this is you've ever been to a worship service and you feel like the pastor's talking to you the entire time. How did you know that about me? Sometimes people come and accuse me of knowing stuff because their wife or their husband or their friend told me stuff so I could put it in the sermon. That does not happen. It does not happen at Neighborhood Church. If you feel like I'm talking right to you, it's because the Lord is empowering those words, and those are becoming actually a prophetic word that's alive to you, that's blowing up in your heart. And we love that, by the way. We love it when that happens. 
And the more you walk with Jesus and the closer you get, the more sensitive you are to understanding and feeling and knowing when that's happening. Paul wants all to actually have this gift of prophecy. Not just a few people, but all. Why? Because Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. So if we can all hear his voice, then it goes without saying that we would all be able to then speak the things and share the things that we're hearing. For This is 1 Corinthians 14, verse 31. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. He's talking about the fact that there's oftentimes more than one person in these gatherings of the church that have a prophetic message or something that they've received from the Lord and they need to take turns, right? Paul's writing a letter to the people in Corinth and saying, hey, y'all are talking over each other. Can you stop interrupting each other and listen and then begin to weigh what is this that's being said? Is this from God or not? Because... Prophecy is not fortune-telling. It is not a parlor trick. It is not just to make you feel good or feel like you can do something that someone else can't do. It is not that. And it is not authoritative words like the Bible. Whatever you feel like you've received from God, you hold it with great humility because we don't always hear correctly. And so... Prophecy is not fortune-telling. It's not authoritative like the Bible. In fact, we'll see in a minute, we've actually got to measure it against God's word. Prophecy, prophecy must be, a few things here. First, wrapped in love. Jesus' command is to love one another. And even especially in delivering a word that we believe is from God or inspired by God, we must do with, with love out of love for the other person. It seems so simple, but if you take love out, it ruins everything. Secondly, prophecy must be humbly packaged. I talked about our four building blocks of a posture of hearing God's voice. Humility is one of those. It says, I'm going to submit this to you and ask you to measure whether this is God or not, because I'm not pretending to be God or pretending that I always hear God perfectly. Sometimes I get it a little bit messed up. Number three, you're submitting it to others to test for accuracy. Like, hey, you test it. You let this see if this lands right. You see if it, if it measures up with what God's already been saying. And then lastly, allow the receiver to decide how to apply the word. Oftentimes, I will get a picture or, an, or something, and I just give it to the person. I just am seeing this in prayer, I'm, I'm seeing you, you know, at work, but I don't exactly know what it means, and I'm just going to let you kind of determine what that is. Because there's sometimes in words or pictures that we see that we're supposed to share with others, there's metaphor. Metaphor has some nuance to it, some timing to it, and some understanding that's important. Let me tell you a story about these three humans. This is Asmon who runs an architectural firm in Northern Ireland. Ian and Jill. Ian has been a junior high teacher and a part-time worship leader at the church. And Jill is his wife, who is a doctor. 
These are accomplished people. These are accomplished people that really listened to what the Holy Spirit said. So after church one Sunday in 2019, we sat at this, this pub and we had a lovely lunch. And while we're having lunch, one says to me, Andrew, I don't know what this means, but I can't get it off my mind. I think it might be the Lord showing me this, that you have three older brothers and you're nothing like any of them. And you will have your own way to do things. And I feel like the Lord says it's okay. Do you have three brothers? If you know me, you know I don't have any brothers at all. I have one younger sister. But immediately the Lord showed me. He revealed to me who those three older brothers are. Their names are Ken, Dennis, and Larry. The three senior pastors that preceded me here at Neighborhood Church. That's a metaphor for the fact that the Lord's saying, Andrew, I see you. You don't have to do it like they did. It's hard to figure out who you are. It's hard to figure out how you're supposed to walk out the things that God's called you to. And it's easy to compare yourself to those who have gone before you. But so many times, prophecy is about releasing you into your identity, reminding you of who God says you are. Sometimes it's reminding, and sometimes it's introducing the idea that will be reminded later because the Lord is a repeating God. I want that to get stuck in your head, by the way. The Lord is a repeating God because he doesn't want you to miss it. Well, the interesting thing about prophecy is sometimes we don't hear right. We hear part, we don't hear it exactly right. Where's an example from that in the scriptures? Well, think about Paul in uh, the book of Acts, and he's cruising around. There's already been some prophetic words through Ananias that he is going to suffer greatly for my sake. That's what um, Ananias prophesies. So we already know suffering is going to be uh, in the plan, in God's plan for Paul, which is crazy that God has a plan for suffering, that for a totally different sermon. But then the, the guys at Tyre and then Agabus come forward and say, you're going to go to Jerusalem and, you're, and the Jews are going to arrest you and then you're going to get thrown into a Roman jail. And that's like a prophetic word. Don't go there. And Paul goes up anyway. He does end up almost getting killed by the Jews. You can read it in, in Acts. And uh, the Romans think he's a criminal, so they kind of rescue him, but they put him in jail. So, and then he ends up being in Caesarea, Caesarea for about two years-ish, and then kind of makes his way, and they, he ends up in a Roman jail eventually. It would be really easy for someone to say, Agabus, guys in Tyre, you got it wrong. The Jews didn't arrest him, see? I'm going to throw this whole word out. But what happens? Paul does, in fact, get jailed. And so, is Agabus seeing a group of Jews that are maybe, you know, have a lot of animosity toward Paul when he's in a Roman jail later? And he says it and it comes out differently? We don't know. But what we see is Paul saying in 1 Thessalonians, hey, don't quench the Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Do not treat prophecy with contempt. But test 
them all and hold on to what is good. This is such a critical verse. If there was one verse I, wanted, I want you to put in your pocket and take with you, it's this one. Why? Because it's easy for us to quench the spirit and despise prophecy. Depending upon how you grew up, prophecy might sound scary. You might think it's a way that people will manipulate you by saying, God said this, and then you're stuck. I can't disobey God. I gotta guess, I'll just do that. And it can be mishandled and misused. This gift is like a power tool, right? I mean, I can take my skill saw and I can cut my leg off or hurt you because I'm careless, or I can build a house. Well, probably I have to have some more tools, but that would be something that I could build things with. And the gifts are this way. They can be dangerous in the hands of those who don't know how to use them. And that's why humility is so important and working together as a body. This is not a solo sport. This is a team sport. And so we're not going to treat prophecy with contempt, but we're going to test them all. Why would we test them? Because they're not perfect. Because people hear wrong. Because sometimes what they feel like they saw, they don't say right, and then it gets a little bit muddled. But God still can use it. He still can work, and it indicates that you got to test what you hear. You can't just take it, well, that person really walks with Jesus, therefore this must be right. No, maybe they were eating too much pizza the night before. Test it. This means you're looking for confirmation. You're looking for the God of repeating to be repeating that in different times. And then you hold on to what is good. In other words, you might get a word that's not 100% what you feel like is 100% accurate, but you hang on to the, to the part that's good. Now, I was talking to my friend last week, and I won't say her name, but she was talking about getting a word, and there was a specific word that when she was pregnant... She was going to have a son, and her son was going to lead her into these certain things, gifts. And so when she had a daughter, she was like, well, that must have been wrong, right? I don't know that she said that. That's my words, not hers. And yet, years later, when she was involved in some overseas work, she found that one of the young men who were working with her called those gifts out and said, I want, the Lord has already put this in you. And because of their culture, they called this couple mom and dad. So here is a son who is calling out that gift and living that out, right? It would be really easy to go, oh yeah, well, I have a daughter. That's, that's not the right word. So test it all. Sometimes there's something very good, even if it seems like it's wrong as far as a little bit off. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 29 says, two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. This is just to underline the idea that we weigh what we hear. You don't just take it and just run with it. You pray into it. You marinate on it. You allow the Lord to begin to confirm that. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 9 and 10 says this, For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. I memorized this verse in a completely different version, so this feels weird. But what is important here for us to take away? 
we only get part of the picture when we speak a word of prophecy. We don't see everything like God does. And yet, some people have used this verse to say, see, uh, we, don't, we don't do this. It's all disappeared. These, these gifts have ceased. In fact, they would say, because the Bible, we think about the Bible as being God's perfect word, then see the perfect comes or the completeness comes, then, then therefore, now that we have the Bible, we don't need prophecy. That's not what this says. It's not at all what this says. So I just wanted to point this out, that there may be someone who doesn't believe in the gifts, don't believe there for today, and probably they're saying that, because they're a little bit afraid that they're going to be used improperly. Therefore, they say, you know what, I, I, we can't take the risk. And yet, what God has made good, we're going to say yes. However, how do we steward this? Well, this is the last thing. Then I'm going to send you to Father's Day brunch or whatever you do after this. How do you test a word of prophecy? Because this is really important. Test them all. So here's a couple ways, five ways for you list people. You're welcome. Number one, compare it to the written word of God. We know that we know that we know that God's word is living and active. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is true, true, true. So if it doesn't measure up to God's word, you got to throw it out. Period. End of story. You don't even go through the rest of them if it, if it doesn't pass that first test. Second test, compare it to the character of God. Let's say you're getting a word or getting a message that, that sounds condemning, right? Well, when you think about the character of God, God's not a condemning God. How do I know that? Well, I've got a verse to make it legal. There is no condemnation, therefore, for us who are in Christ Jesus. We know that's not in his nature or his character. Therefore, a word that's condemning gets thrown out. Condemning and convicting are different. I gotcha. I got you, Ed. See, this is what happens when you preach without notes. I can completely interact with you and know exactly what you're thinking. That's not true. I anticipated that that would be the issue. Condemnation is you're not good for anything. See, you did that again. See, you're disqualified. See, you got to sit on the bench. See, you don't, you're not loved. See, everybody else has got it and you don't. Conviction is the kindness of God leading us to change our minds and repent. Andrew, um, did you really want to say it that way? Because I didn't have humility all over it. Oh, you're right, Lord. I'm so sorry. The kindness of God leads us to a place of changing our hearts and our minds. That's the character of God. Third, pay attention to the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. For me, when I hear something that I know is like, all of a sudden, it's like my my spirit jumps. It's like the Holy Spirit high five. Like my, the Holy Spirit and someone else high fives the Holy Spirit. I mean, I'm like, whoa, there is something. Whoa, 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 stop. Let's go back to that. What did you just say? That's like, there's, I think there's something significant there, right? And the more that you walk with Jesus and the more sensitive you are, the more you read his word so that you can actually recognize his voice and recognize what his voice sounds like, the quicker you're going to have those responses. And then for me, because I'm a feeler, I cry. You're welcome. <laughs> Fourth, trusted, wise, spiritual counsel weighs in. I was at this beautiful birthday celebration for our friends, Chris and Liz. 
last night. And for those who are there, they can tell you that there is something about trusted, wise, spiritual counsel that is so beautiful because it's willing to have the hard conversation, willing to cry with those who are crying and confront those who need to be confronted, admonishing one another, but loving each other through the midst of it. And it was a beautiful picture of that. And if you feel isolated and you need to find good spiritual counsel, we want to get you connected. And I would really recommend a life group this fall. We'll have a big push. We want you to be involved in a life group where you can find that kind of spiritual counsel. Not to tell you what to do or be the final say about that prophetic word that you got. This is not about controlling other people. Can I say it any stronger? It is not about controlling people. Because these gifts have been used to manipulate people, we don't want that. That's not what love looks like. So not for the final say, but for another voice of confirmation. Lastly, confirmation. The idea that something would be more sure in your heart and life. Because God is a repeating God, he will find different ways to reinforce this is really God. And so... Confirmation might mean this. Let's say um, I, well, let's take my three friends, right? Uh, Asman, Jill, and Ian. And they give me a word about something. Maybe it's the first time I've thought about that before. Whew. Whoa. Okay. Got to write it in my journal. Going to start praying about it. Going to ask my friend Gaylord, who's been discipling me. Gaylord, what do we think about this? Can you pray with me about this? going to weigh in a little bit. Hey, Andrew, I don't know. Let's just pray. Lord, Father, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, right? I only imitate people that I love so much. I feel like I could do Gaylord pretty good by now. And by the way, the more you spend time with someone, the more you will pray like them. So guilty as charged. If you hear me pray like Gaylord, it's because I spend time with him, and I love that, and I'm learning. But so then I will submit it and then listen for confirmation. So sometimes the word will be the very first time you've thought about it and you go, whew, I got to think about that. Other times the word will be confirmation to you because I don't want to run around looking for a prophetic word all the time. I want to have a close enough relationship with my father that he's constantly speaking to me. And that when you say it, you're like, whoa, I've been journaling about that. Whoa, that, I've had three people say that to me in the last week. Whoa, I just heard a song about that on the radio. This is just another confirmation. Does that make sense? So sometimes the word you're going to get from somebody is going to be the first time you're like, whoa, got to test that. Other times it's like, Lord, how many times do you have to tell me the same thing over and over? And the Lord will say, well, until you finally get it. <laughs> so this is part one of a two-part message on prophecy. Next week, we'll talk more about well, what happens when you get prophecy wrong. What is our protocol? What are things you shouldn't do? And probably some testimonies. But I want to challenge you more than anything to go deep with Jesus. Because prophecy should be just like a bonus condition where you get to hear what God's thinking through someone else and he's affirming you, he's encouraging you, he's strengthening you, he's comforting you through someone else. 
And that really what you're entitled to is his presence and receiving from him. So would you stand with me? And I'm going to close this up here. Uh, Reminder, birdhouses, if you have Bulgarian birds in your yard like we do, we already got a birdhouse, um, you should get a birdhouse. They're in the lobby. Um, Prayer folks, if you come down forward. Folks who pray, and we'll talk about this next week, are learning, I know they had a, there was a class last week, about hearing God's voice as we're praying for others and listening prayer. We'll talk about that next week as we talk about prophecy for the second time. But Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness over us. Thank you that you're always speaking. And thank you that you're repeating God. You don't let us miss it. I pray, Lord, for those who have been afraid of this gift or thought it was some kind of parlor trick, God, that you would show them, have them have an encounter with you in this way so that they could see how beautiful this gift is, how powerful it can be, and how much it makes us feel seen and loved. Thank you for this church body. I'm so thankful to be in this place, that this is my family. And as we experience Father's Day today, may your grace fall on us fresh. Thank you for some time together this morning in Jesus' name. Happy Father's Day to all you who are fathers, and to all the rest of you, have a happy day. We'll see you next week.